This is Howard Anderson, news editor at Information Security Media Group. Today we're talking about change management issues with Jan Hillier, clinical assistant professor of management at Indiana University. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Hillier. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. One important way that healthcare organizations can help prevent data breaches is to create a culture of compliance. That means that HIPAA compliance, including an understanding of the importance of protecting patient privacy, has to be part of the mindset of all employees. And that can represent a huge change management challenge. So if a CIO or a chief information security officer wants to play a key role in building a culture of compliance, where should they begin? The CIO needs to be the catalyst and the champion for change. But the challenge of cultural change is that you can't dictate it. So it's not business as usual. And business as usual usually is we have a plan and I'm going to delegate it to one of my direct reports and then they'll get back to me where there are problems. And that just doesn't work. What they need to do initially is to create this vision of what a culture of compliance needs to be. And this is really about painting a picture of what patient privacy and compliance would look like. And once they've done that, then their most important role is to really lead the change process and engage others in determining how to create such a culture. And it can't just be the CIO. When you're doing cultural change, you really have to involve more members of the senior leadership team, and in particular, the CEO. But as I said before, this is not a project that can be delegated. It has to have a top-down message, but that's not enough. So I really put it into to three steps. That The first step is to define the vision, as I talked about just a minute ago, and that means identifying what needs to change and why, and then painting this picture of what the culture needs to look like, say, in two or three years. And then I always recommend that this, this leadership team do what we call contrast analysis. And these are from two statements that leaders complete that are more specific on where are we today and where do we need to be in three years. So, for example, we know that uh, hospital personnel often use the same computer and forget to log off. And this is one of the ways where they can lose valuable information or people can get access to information they're not supposed to have. So this is where we are today. So that would be a from statement. The two statement would be that in a culture of compliance, everybody would remember to log off as soon as they're done with, with their computer usage. The second step then would be to create what I call the, the change vision value proposition. And this is the information that you're going to end up using to sell your, your change vision to your employees. And this basically is coming up with this, um, why is the culture of compliance and patient confidentiality important? And why do we need to do it now? What's going to happen if we don't change? And how will this culture provide value to our hospital? And then the last one, which I think is really important, is what are the trade-offs between changing and staying the same? What will happen if we don't do this? So, for example, patient uh, satisfaction scores are now available online. So if we're the kind of place where we talk about patient information or patient confidentiality is not respected, this is going to get out there, and we could lose patients and we could lose money. Another way to do this, to paint the picture, is to say, say you or a family member is our patients in our hospital, and somebody gets to log off a computer, and all of a sudden people have access to private family information. How would you feel about that? So again, it's making it real for the employees. Why is this so important to them? 
So the third step then is then managing the process. How do you get them to do it? And that's where the rubber really meets the road. That kind of leads into my next question, which is uh, what are some of the essential steps to help ensure that privacy protection is a priority for everyone from janitors all the way up to the CEO? How do you uh, gain their buy-in? This is a really important question. And what's critical is that you involve people in the process, but not the usual way. And the reason I say this is important is because frequently what leaders want to do is have a committee that has representation from different departments on it, and they think that this is how they're going to manage change. I've seen companies make this mistake of management by committee that each affected department sends a representative to the task force, and they're vaguely told what's going to be the new culture, so we're going to have a culture of compliance, and then they're asked to comment on it. But the managers are still making decisions, and they're not really engaging people in the process. The committee representative is not really speaking for the department. They're often not even communicating to other people in the department, and the buy-in just isn't there. So rather than, than having a representation as a committee, what works is when the senior leaders go to the employees and they start presenting the change of vision. And this doesn't mean the CEO has to do it all, but it does mean that senior vice presidents go out and start talking about it and senior department leaders go out and start talking about it. And they're presenting the information and they're talking the value proposition of this culture and why do we have to do this. And once they've explained to people, this is what we're going to do and this is why we're going to do it, they say to them, how do we do it at this hospital? Give us your best idea of how we think we need to go about doing this. And so you're engaging them in the process and you're asking them to help problem solve this big change that we need your help to figure out the steps to go forward with this. And once you've done that, all of a sudden, you're getting people saying, oh, all right, well, I have some ideas. And what I think is almost magical about this is that once you get people starting to solve the problem, rather than being told, you have to do this, and by the way, if you don't do it, you're going to get fired, which is what's always in the back of their mind, you're inviting them to be a part of the process, and you're trying to access their creativity. And even though you're doing this many, many times, and I've been involved in change programs where I've seen roughly the same presentation maybe 50 times to the point where I'm dreaming about it in my sleep at night, but the same answers keep coming up over and over and over again. So when the CIO or the senior person starts saying, we've had 47 meetings, and there is clear consensus, and this came up in every department I talked to, that one way to solve this problem is blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, you've got buy-in right off the bat. It doesn't happen every place the same way, but when you have involved people in the process, I just find it very interesting how you're able to get consensus around what you need to do about the problem when there is a compelling need for the change and that you've taken the time to explain the problem to people and ask for their help in coming up with a solution to the problem. What kind of training is most effective when carrying out a big change management project? Uh, how can hospitals and clinics make sure that all policies and procedures are not only understood but also carefully followed? Well, that's another really good question. And 
the reason I think it's a good question is too often sometimes people think that training is the answer to creating change. And I see training as being only a small part of the change package. And it comes more towards the middle and end of the change overall change program rather than at the beginning. So if you've gone through the process of defining the problem and defining where you need to be and creating that vision and involving people in the process, by the time they need to be trained, it is much simpler to engage them in the process and have your training be effective. But if you haven't laid the foundation, you can do training from now until when the cows come home, and you're, you're not going to have an effective change program. The other thing that that I don't want to leave out here is that this change is not just about individuals. And training implies that if you just get people to change, that everything's going to be okay. The other thing you have to take a look at are organizational systems. And you have to be really careful that how you reward people, so who you promote, who you give bonuses to, um, who you give awards to, and who you recognize in the organization. These are all reinforcements of the old way of doing things. So you have to make sure that you're aligning the rest of the organization with this cultural change and that you're actually rewarding people for the right behavior and not inadvertently rewarding the wrong people for the wrong behavior. And so when you're only looking at training, it's this assumption that, oh, we can just get individuals to change. Everything is going to be okay. And cultural change is bigger than that. It's more than just the individuals. It's having to look at the, at the hospital or the entire organization as the integrated system that it is and then making sure that you're, you're looking at all different parts so that it's actually effective. So I understand that you served as a vice president of a medical center where you developed a change management program based on a concept called emotional intelligence. Please describe that concept and how it might apply to an organization attempting to emphasize the importance of HIPAA compliance and protecting patient privacy. Emotional intelligence is a really interesting concept that's, that's gotten a lot of publicity in the last 10 years or so. And it looks at, at one's behavior and how my behavior affects my relationships. So it's about this capacity to recognize my own feelings and then others' feelings as well and how to manage my emotions and then, as a result, to be able to work well with other people. It's based on self-awareness and self-control, and it has everything to do with management and leadership because both management and leadership occur within a relationship between a manager and a direct report. And so teaching managers emotional intelligence really can help improve a manager's relationship with direct reports. I found it to be particularly attractive in the healthcare setting because the, the first book on emotional intelligence talks about brain functioning and how the brain affects our emotional actions and reactions. And so the medical uh, field is interested in this and doctors find it interesting and nurses can understand the, the physiology that's described. And so... I liked it for that reason, but it also had several articles in Harvard Business Review. And so the kind of cynical managers who call this stuff touchy-feely, when you hand them an article from Harvard Business Review, they um, are a little more interested in it. 
but successful change programs are asking people to change their behavior, and managers are on the front line of that change. And so you're needing them to walk the talk and serve as role models. But most managers who are promoted into management are promoted for their technical skills and not for their interpersonal skills. And managing ends up dealing with some pretty complex behavioral interactions that managers simply are not equipped. We just haven't trained them to do that very well. So emotional intelligence really helps managers learn how to influence others by understanding themselves and their relationship with others. And when you get managers to change, they will be the chief promoters of change within their direct reports. And so emotional intelligence is just one way to help them become far more effective people as managers because they're influencing people in a different way. And it, it just is perfect for the medical setting because it, it does talk about brain functioning. And again, you get doctors who aren't usually interested in this kind of stuff going, oh, you know, they'll read it. And that doesn't always happen. Okay, to wrap up, uh, when it comes to changing the corporate culture, what other lessons can healthcare organizations learn from other industries, do you think? Well, everything I've talked about is really an integration of change technique from other industries. So this approach that, that, especially the one I put together at the hospital, was really building on other industries. But healthcare is idiosyncratic in a certain way because it, it doesn't have a lot of crossover from other industries. But the change that's occurring in most other industries is is starting to affect healthcare, and so I think there is a lot of um, a lot of integration that can occur. But everything that I've talked about is stuff that I used when I was a hospital vice president. I'm I can't recall any time that I had to make adjustments for healthcare. It was just my understanding of healthcare. I could just adapt it really easily, and so I think that most of the change management material will be readily and available for the healthcare setting. Thanks very much. We've been talking today with Jan Hillier of Indiana University. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so very much for listening.